I am so glad you're here today. Uh, it, it, you are in for a very special occasion. Last week, we talked about the Lord's invitation to us to be a part of a new spiritual family, and He makes that provision through His Son, Jesus Christ. Today, uh, Addie is going to be one of those folks. We're going to hear her faith story, and you're get to, going to see how that happened in her own life. So I am really excited about that. But I need to make sure that you are aware this morning, if you're a guest with us or maybe one of our own, that it is not baptism or the water that's going to save Addie. She's made a declaration of faith in her Lord Jesus Christ. She recognizes that she was a sinner separated from him because of her sin and that she was believing and believes that Jesus died on the cross to pay that penalty for her sin. And the cool thing is she received that gift. She made him Savior, and now she's making him Lord of her life. And so she's going to tell you her faith story. Addie, I'm going to ask if you and Cole would come on up and bring your mom and dad with you and uh, let them hear your story, if that's all right with you. And then I think your dad is going to dunk you. Are you excited? Me too. All right. Hello, my name is Addison and I'm eight years old. When I was about five, I accepted Jesus. Why I accepted Jesus is that I was curious because I heard about it at church. I was interested, so me and my mom and dad went into my room. My dad told me Jesus died for my sins on the cross, was buried, and he rose from the dead. I was really thinking about what my dad said, and I was amazed by it. I accepted Jesus because I need a Savior because I sin. In my life, I've been discovering that Jesus can help me make good choices. Also, I can talk to God about literally anything. God has changed my way. God has changed my life in many ways. I am very honest, helpful, and kind because God helps me be. I hope anyone who does not know Jesus is a personal Savior, that they would know how much he loves them. Jesus is my Savior, and I'll always be. I love God. Thank you. Thank you. For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away, and behold, new things have come. Addie, I'm excited for you. I love to see that smile on your face. I was listening as you were talking, and you said, because you were curious. And my hope is, as you talked today, that there will be others who will be curious because of the things you've said, and they'll try to figure out what that means, and they'll ask, and they'll come to the place where you are today. Because of your faith in Jesus Christ, it is going to be your dad's pleasure to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Addie has been buried with him in baptism and raised to walk in new life. Amen. Well, let's pray for them. Father, what an absolute joy to be partakers of your grace. Thank you for the gift of new life found in you. Lord, we do pray that um, Addie and others who know you that their words, their deeds, their actions would bring you great glory and that because of them, you, through the presence and power of your Holy Spirit acting in them, might draw others to yourself. Father, thank you for the privilege this day of being a part of this testimony. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It is one of the greatest privileges the Lord gives us here at the chapel is the gift of children and to see...
a family up here together to see a dad who is a pastor of his own home to share in not only the sharing of the faith with his daughter, but to share then in her act of obedience and baptism. It's really a beautiful picture that I hope we will continue by God's grace to see over and over and over and again here at the chapel. We have been blessed with lots and lots of kids. With that blessing comes the need for lots and lots of volunteers to help. And gratefully, over the recent weeks, many of you have volunteered. We have 90% of our weekly workers and 90% of our monthly volunteers. That leaves us with about 10 more folks who we would need to serve weekly in our preschool program. I know some of you are like, la, 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 I don't want to have it, but... I would ask you, would you consider prayerfully whether that is a place that you might serve the children and the parents in this body? Ten folks to serve weekly in our preschool and then preschool program on Sunday mornings. And then we have ten more folks who we need. It's only a monthly commitment, once a month, but in our nursery to care for our babies. So some of you might want to get your baby fixed by helping in the nursery once a month. But if you would, take that communication card that Matt talked about and let us know or call the church office, email us. We would greatly appreciate your participation in being good stewards of the young lives that God has brought to the chapel. So uh, glad to be back. Last week I was in Pennsylvania visiting my family for a few days. My dad turns 80 next month, and so we went up to celebrate a little bit early. And it struck me that while I was up in Pennsylvania with my family, John was here teaching from Mark chapter 3, Behold my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus' teaching that though all of us have earthly, physical families, we have also been blessed as we have placed faith in Christ to be part of a spiritual family. So that just as Jackie and I came here freshly married in 1986 and no earthly family within hundreds of miles, we are blessed with a spiritual family and over the years have experienced the joy of mothers and brothers and sisters in faith here that you have been our family. And I, I am always grateful to get a week to get refreshed and always super grateful to come back and to be a part of this, our family, because long before this was a place where I worked, This was a place where we worshiped, and this has been our family. Let me encourage you, if you're new to the chapel or been visiting for a while but only attending a worship service, I would just encourage you to take a next step to find a place, whether in serving or in a family group or an adult fellowship, a place where you would have a family of maybe 10 or 12 or 14 where you might really become known, not just part of a crowd, but part of a small group because God intends us to be a family. So I want to encourage you. We're we're glad that you're visiting, but just don't stay on the fringe. We'd love for you and for what God would bless you with as you got involved. Well, if you have a Bible with you, let me invite you to turn to Mark chapter 4 now. 
We're going to hit a unique spot in the sense that we have been going through the Gospel of Mark looking at encounters with Jesus. All sorts of different people, all sorts of different circumstances. But when we come to chapter 4, he begins to teach in parables. And because we're looking at the encounters of Jesus, we're not going to look at the parables. We're going to go to the next encounter, which is at the end of chapter 4. But before we look at it, I want to share with you what I hope the Lord will do in your heart this morning. So if you would, would you please look up here for a moment. When we look at this passage, we're going to see that it's possible to know something is true about Jesus, to know something's true about God, but then when it comes to daily life, not rest in it. And maybe you even know yourself how that disconnect of knowing something's true but not being able to rest in it. You know it's true, but you still are anxious and worried and afraid. And I don't want you to continue, as I haven't wanted to continue, to live that way, disconnected from what I know to be part of my life, really, day to day. And so I'm going to simply ask, and I'm going to encourage you to ask the Lord to be your teacher today, that truth would not just be here, but it would be something you rest in. So would you bow with me, and would you ask the Lord to be your teacher this morning? Not just truth, but truth applied to the daily storms of life. God, you're a great God, a perfect heavenly Father, a good Father, a loving Father, a Father with infinite power and absolute authority. Those things that many of us would know about you but would fail to rest in. And I pray that you would grow us this morning, that we might live in the fullness of the reality of who you are and that it would be to your glory and our joy in Christ's name. Amen. So our passage, Mark chapter 4, verse 35. On that day, when evening came, he, Jesus, said to them, his disciples, let's go over to the other side. So they had been on the coast of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus indicates that he wants to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Leaving the crowd, they took him, Jesus, along with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were doing what? Breaking over the boat, good or bad? Yeah, that's bad. So much that the boat was already filling up. Question, how many of you have been on a boat? Let me see your hands. Keep them up. How many of you, when you were on that boat, did the waves break over the boat? Okay, lots of hands down. That's not a good moment. How many of you, hands still up, with the waves breaking over the boat, you saw the boat beginning to fill up? Yeah, all of you had bilge pumps. Most of you had bilge pumps where it was pumping the water out. Guess what? No bilge pumps in Jesus' day. The water is breaking over. It's literally filling the boat up, good or bad. Yeah, that's bad. 
We've read this story. Many of us heard this story. We know the story, but maybe we've disconnected. This is a not good moment. This is a fearful moment. This is real life. These guys have spent their entire life on the water, and here's what they conclude. Jesus himself, oh, sorry. Jesus himself was in the stern, so he's in the boat. What's he doing? Asleep. We had like a few people over here who said they were in the boat. The water was filling up. Were you asleep? No. I didn't think so. I didn't barely need to ask. When the boat's filling up and what waves are breaking over, you're not sleeping except Jesus is sleeping. Who does that? I mean, just snoozing away. Well, maybe it's because he had the cushion. Maybe there's only one. Who knows? And they woke him, Jesus, and they say to him, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he got up and he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea. So he says to the wind, hush, and to the waves, be still. Just like a parent says to their kids, hush, be still. And sometimes kids obey. In this situation, Jesus says, hush, and the wind stops. And he says, be still, and the waves go flat. That's quite a miracle, is it not? I mean, we know living in Florida, hurricane can go by, and even if Jesus stops the wind, the waves last for days later. But he he says, wind, hush, and waves And they go flat. (laughs) Wind died down. It became perfectly calm. And here's what he says to them. Are you afraid? Now, this is awkward to say about Jesus, but is that not a little bit of a stupid question? Why are you afraid? What's the answer to that? Because we're about to drown. That's why. You know, that kind of brings about a little bit of fear. You know, you're about to die. We get a little afraid. That's why we're afraid. Jesus literally says, why are you afraid? Now, the storm had happened. It's over. And so he's evaluating their reaction to the storm. Have you ever evaluated your reaction after a crisis moment? Look back and ask yourself, how did I do? And oftentimes it's not so good. Jesus evaluates how they had reacted in the storm. And he says, why afraid? Do you still have no faith? Strange questions, it seems. Because the answer is, well, because we're about to drown. That's why we were afraid. And you were sleeping. They became very much afraid. Isn't that funny? Afraid during the storm, now... In conversation with Jesus after, they're very much afraid. And they said to one another, who is this? That that even the wind and the sea obey him. Wow. Now, this is not only a miraculous moment. This is actually a pretty challenging text for all of us. Because whether it's a literal storm or a figurative storm... All of us get waves crashing into the boat of our life. All of us get our boats starting to fill up. All of us get that sense we're going under. 
And oftentimes then we get a chance to look back and go, how did we do? Did we have faith? Were we petrified out of our mind? How do we react? Because Jesus, Jesus evaluates their reaction to the storm. And his reaction to the storm, his evaluation, excuse me, is this. That their reaction was an evidence of an absence of faith. He's sleeping through it. When they wake him up, he sees no faith here. That's what he says, verse 40. Why are you afraid? And actually, literally, cowardly. Why, why so chicken? Why so afraid in this moment? Do you still have no faith? And here's what really caught my attention. Do you still, that word still, do you still have no faith? When Jesus communicates, do you still have no faith? What is he saying? Think about it. He is saying what? That he expected that there would be faith at least now. That maybe there was a time where he would have gone, oh, I understand that reaction. But after what has happened, he expects that their reaction would be different than it was. So he's going, your reaction is evidence of an absence of faith and your reaction's not consistent with my current expectation. Which is actually one of the questions that has always bugged me about this text. I don't know if you've ever simply asked yourself, real life, ships going down, Jesus goes, why so afraid? What did he expect? You ever ask yourself that? What did Jesus expect the disciples to do? It seems pretty natural. If somebody's in a plane and the plane starts going down and they start freaking out, you kind of go, well, that's kind of natural. So what did he expect? Well, I think the text is going to reveal to us three expectations. First, I believe he expected that they had learned from their past experiences that would have made a difference in this moment. Do you still have no faith? In other words, I would have got that, but still now? that he expected they had learned from their past experience. Do you, do you remember, I mentioned it a couple weeks ago, how long have they been following Jesus roughly now? More than a year and a half. They have been, the, the folks who are freaking out in the boat have been with Jesus for more than a year and a half now. And so they have encountered, they have had plenty of past experiences with him. To just name a few, they had been with Jesus at the wedding when he had turned the water into wine. And not just any wine, really, really, really good wine, good enough wine for guests to go, wow, this stuff's really good. And not just a little bit, barrels of really, really good wine. Ever been to a forgettable wedding? Yeah, and no offense, but lots of weddings start to look the same. There's plenty of forgettable weddings. 
Not so much. This is an unforgettable wedding. They were with Jesus when he has healed many, many different diseases and different types of people. They had experienced Jesus healing a leper. They had experienced Jesus taking a man who was a paralytic and allowing him to walk. They had experienced Jesus. Remember the guy in the synagogue with a withered hand? And Jesus brings him front and center, up on stage, if you will, so that everybody could see. And he takes the hand that doesn't function, and right before their very eyes, the withered hand is transformed and works as it's intended to work. Would you forget that moment? Hello, people. Would you forget that moment? No, no, no. You would never. You, you might rub your eyes and go, what? What? Did you see that? Did that really? Yep. I've known that guy all his life. Withered hand. Mm. You would not forget that. Never. Never. So Jesus is going, I would have expected no faith in a storm way back before you saw me turn water into wine and heal all sorts of diseases. And remember the night, no fish, and then I filled your net with so much fish you almost sunk. No fisherman forgets that one. That's an unforgettable catch. And how about this? Been to a funeral? Casket up front, funeral service ends. Start wheeling the casket out. Stranger shows up. Stop. <laughs> Opens the lid. Takes the person out alive. <laughs> you wouldn't forget. Well, first, anybody been there? <laughs> no. No. The disciples had. They had literally seen a funeral possession of a widow's son. And Jesus stops the whole deal and raises the boy from the dead. That stuff, you know, oh, did I not mention that to you? Jackie will always say, you didn't tell me that. That'd be one I'd tell her. So, widow's son raised from the dead. You understand now what I mean when I said Jesus expected they would have learned from their past experience. Now, what's true in each of these? Let me tell you a funny one for a moment. Thursday night, I asked that question. What's true in each of these? And the lady in the back goes, Jesus was awake in all of them. <laughs> Which is an excellent observation, but not exactly what I was thinking. So what's true when water gets turned to wine, diseases healed, nets get filled with fish, and dead people begin to live? Well, what is Jesus demonstrating about himself? Yeah, that, that he has authority to do anything. I think he expected them, because of what they had seen, because of what they had been experienced, that he expected them to be certain certain of his demonstrated authority in the physical world. I think, think he says, 
still no faith, meaning, I understood back then, but, but you've been through a lot with me, seeing a lot, really? Still no faith now? After I've demonstrated in countless ways my absolute authority in the physical world? Which is what cracks me up about verse 41 when they say, uh, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who is this? Really? You didn't see this one coming? After he had turned water into wine, after he had raised the dead, this one catches you off guard and go, who is this? I mean, this is a different circumstance, but the same reality. So he had demonstrated, he had physical authority, authority in the physical world. What was different about this one? Yeah, Kevin nailed it. It was their lives this time. And you can watch somebody else in a hard situation and see God work. And you can even say, oh, just trust the Lord. Here's a nice little tweet for you. Oh, play this song. But it's totally different to tell someone to trust the Lord and to trust the Lord in your storm. Totally different. See, the the difference is this. They had seen Jesus step in to other people's lives and radically work to change. A widow, a son back, a wedding transformed. But now it was their lives. They were the ones that were gone. It's not somebody else perishing. It's me perishing. And folks, let's be honest. One of the hardest things to do is to take truth and not apply it to somebody else's life, but to take truth and make it real in my own, my personal life. And I think he expected them to have learned from their experiences and learned that he had Authority in the physical world. And he expected that they would then be able to connect his demonstrated authority to their personal crisis. And they don't. And this is why I prayed the way I did at the beginning. That we would be people who would not just know things and not just sing things and not just recite things and not just tell things, but that we would be people who rest in the God that we have come to know. But that's hard. My years at Columbia at the Bible College, the president at the time was Robertson McQuilkin. His dad, Robert C. McQuilkin, had begun the school in 1923. This was early 80s, early mid-80s when we were, Jackie and I were students there. He was the president. His wife, Muriel, was beginning to experience Alzheimer's just as we were graduating. A few years later, he resigned his presidency from the school to care for his wife. 
And he did so because he said that's what we had promised 40 years earlier, in sickness and in health, for better or for worse. And then he wrote an article for Christianity Today called Therapeutic Theology. It's an article that I've probably read 50 times because he speaks about his own journey of connecting what is true to the realities of the storms and the crisis of life and what it means personally for theology, what we know about God, to speak into those moments. He says... I realized, him speaking personally, I realized that when I worried about my impossible circumstances, and Alzheimer's would feel that way, death, illness, storms, I was calling into question the character of God. Have you ever thought about your worry as a calling into the question, calling into question the character of God? Am I really smarter than God to know what's best? See, we never really think, I'm smarter than God, but we often think, this would be better. Am I really smarter than God to know what's best? Is he truly impotent in the face of my impossible circumstances? Or maybe he just doesn't care that much about me. What blasphemy. And often it doesn't come out our mouths, but it often resides in our hearts where we think, God, don't you see? Don't you care? Don't you know we want to have kids? Why won't you give us kids? Don't you know I just wanted a normal marriage? Why this? God, don't don't you know what we need? You know I need a job. Where are you? And what happens in those moments for us is often what happened in the disciples as the waves are crashing and the boat's filling up and they're gone under. Before Muriel began to show signs of Alzheimer's, he tells this story of how Muriel began to connect theology to real life. He says, Muriel was a chain warrior, which is a phenomenal expression that I can definitely relate to. One stormy night, she was totally stressed out about her three teenagers who were out in the fringes of the hurricane. She was just as distraught over the last two when the first arrived in good cheer, unscathed, and still immobilized by fear for the the third after the second appeared. So they were coming home, but she was not quitting. As she writhed in an agony of worry on her bed, harassing the Lord with her unbelief, he seemed to say to her, do you want to spend the rest of your life living like this? That is such a good question. One that I can... Oh, I... Really? Is the way it's always going to be? All of life? Always afraid? Always anxious? Startled, she cried out, Oh, no, Lord, I truly don't. Please deliver me. And he writes, And as she never tired of testifying, he did in an instant. Miraculous. For most of us, it takes a bit of growing, but not for Muriel. She just quit when she got focused on who God really is. Later, she wrote this couplet, anything, anytime, anywhere, I leave the choice with you. I trust your wisdom, love, and power. Whatever you say, I'll do.
See, we think that's missionary stuff. That's for moms with teenagers, for moms with disabled kids, and for moms who want to be moms but can't be moms, and for dads and their job, and dads and their health, and dads and their finances. Wisdom, love, and power. I really appreciate Robertson acknowledging what God did for Muriel is not the norm necessarily. In an instant, every once in a way, once in a while, God takes something that is enslaving and takes it away immediately, but not often. Worry is enslaving sin. Fear is an enslaving sin. And I've often asked the Lord to deliver me from it. And it's not been an instant. Here's something that has helped me over the years. Years ago, I asked myself this question after having so much opportunity to experience God's goodness and God's love for me that it was, in my own heart, I knew, why am I still afraid? For me, it was specifically speaking in front of people. 15, 20 years and still afraid. Makes no sense. Why so afraid? And those are the questions. What helped me was beginning to ask the Jesus questions from the text. Doug, why so afraid? By asking that question, I recognize I was, yeah, I have reason not to be. Why still no faith? You have plenty of reason to trust in him. Asking the Jesus questions in the text began to help me to bring truth and rational thinking to my irrational fears. Because that's what's in reality. Most of our fears and the things that we worry about are just irrational. They have lost sight. They're present because we've lost sight of the truth of who God is. Good, wise, and loving, and powerful. And so, I began to ask myself a new question in this text. <laughs> so what would faith actually do? You know what I mean by that? I mean, really, you're, don't think theoretically even. Think, a boat is being filled up with water and you're going down. We know what natural reaction is. What would faith do? Have you never asked yourself, what if I was on an airplane that began its descent to crash, but you had 60 seconds? What would you do? What would faith do in that moment? It's a couple of thoughts from the text. Faith would not panic. And I don't mean this in some disciplined personality. Faith, faith would cause you not to panic. And I picked that word very specifically because here, you look up panic in the dictionary. Panic is this. Panic is the uncontrollable 
sudden, uncontrollable fear or anxiety. Wouldn't be there because I would recognize this isn't, I feel out of control, but it's not out of control. My Father has it in control. Now, we believe that, we sing that, but to, in that moment, believe it so that we don't panic. This feels out of control. The Father is in control. So faith wouldn't panic. Second, faith wouldn't question care. Care what? The care of God for you. The waves are coming over. The boat's filling up. The disciples, I'm sure, have been bailing as much as they could, but they're losing ground. The sea's putting more water in the boat than they can get out of the boat. And so what do they do? Jesus, wake up. Do you think he's going, what? I was in a deep sleep here. Why are you waking me? Do you think, seriously, do you think they should have just let him sleep? Is he saying, where's your faith? Do you still have no faith because they woke him up? I don't think so. It's actually what comes out of their mouth. Do you remember what they said? Do you not care that we're dying here? Do you care that we're going to drown? Does he? Does God care for you? Anytime you wonder, does God not care, then I simply would point you to the cross. How much more could he care for you? But when we hear there's cancer, or we discover the child is going to be blind or deaf or disabled, or we can't have kids, what often finds a foothold in our heart is, God, don't you care? Don't you see? I thought you loved me. Why would you do this to me? Don't you care? It's not the waking of Jesus. It's the accusation. You don't care. McQuilkin writes, I may not know what God's purpose is in sending or permitting difficulty in my life, but that he has a purpose, I am confident. And a God with wisdom to know what's best for me, love to choose that best, and power to carry it through, I can trust. I can never be a victim except a victim of God's love. Self-pity can't even get a hearing. But sometimes self-pity gets a hearing in our heart, doesn't it? You look around, 
You see what you wish you had? You see people experiencing what you, ex- what you wished you would experience? And you begin to think, not fair, self-pity. He's going, self-pity can't even get a hearing. Shake my puny fist in the face of God as some testify. Why would you allow Muriel, my wife, my beloved, my precious, to have Alzheimer's? They must not fear the infinite Holy One. Or perhaps they've not watched the agony on the father's face as his only son hangs helpless, crying out, why have you abandoned me? Why, indeed, for my sake it was. That's how much the Father and the Son love me. How often, he says, when I've tried to untangle the reasons God seems to have abandoned me, have I returned finally to Calvary and whispered, Dear Jesus, how could those hands pierced for me ever allow anything truly evil to pass through to touch me? Help me trust you when I can't figure out the why. And he concludes, theology, right thinking about God, does indeed protect from the ravages of ungodly responses. That's a strong statement because all of us have seen fear ravage our lives and rob us of life and worry rob us of life. Good theology, right thinking about God, protects from those things that will rob us from the very thing that God intends for us to experience. So, what does faith do? Doesn't panic, doesn't question care. Couldn't be any more clear than the cross. So if we're literally on a sinking boat, did he expect the disciples to sing their way to the bottom? To sing until their songs became bubbles? I mean, does that, I've really wrestled. What does faith do? Okay, I can get it. It doesn't panic. It doesn't question. But what does faith do? I hope you'll see this. Faith is not passive in the moment. First of all, faith does bail. If God gives you a bucket, use it. <laughs> but what, does, what did they do that I think was an act of faith? Hey, Jesus. Hey, 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 wake up. You know? Remember that raising of the dead? We could use a little bit of that right now. Seriously. I'm not, being, I'm not joking. In that moment, what does faith do? I'm not panicking. I'm not questioning that you care for me. I believe that you love me. The cross couldn't say it any more clearly. But in this moment, I'm asking you to demonstrate your authority to intervene. I'm asking... Would you take the barren womb and give a child? Would you take the cancerous tumor and remove it? Would you provide a job when it doesn't seem like there are any? Would you give the daily grace necessary to deal with a disabled child? Would you grant me grace to live in this marriage? God, would you intervene? 
I know that you, I know that you love me. I know you're in control. I'm not panicking. You're in control, and you love me. You have the wisdom to know what's best. You have the love to do it, and you have the power to bring it about. I'm asking you to intervene, and I'll trust what you do. I'll trust what you do, because sometimes boats go to the bottom. And sometimes barren women never have children. And sometimes cancerous tumors never disappear. Because it doesn't always happen, sometimes we get reluctant to, ev- to even ask. And I want us to know with all of our heart as the boat of our lives fill up, as fears continue to ravage our lives that we would learn to by faith not panic but believe he is in control and not question his care but believe that the cross is the ultimate and fullest demonstration of love and then invite him demonstrate your authority in this physical world I'll trust whatever you do but I'm asking you Jesus we're sinking Many of you know Joni Alexander as our children's minister. It's been my privilege to know Joni before she became our children's minister. When I was the youth pastor here, she was a volunteer in the youth ministry. And over the years, part of the privilege of the long journey with Joni has been to see certain places in his places in her life where there was not faith. And today, to see faith. I hope her story, as you listen to it, will encourage you. You can trust the Lord where previously, maybe up to today, you've always lived in fear and anxiety. Listen to her story. It has been many years ago but I remember it as if it were yesterday. We had an opportunity to go on an incredible family vacation to Hawaii. It was like a dream vacation, but unfortunately, I totally missed it. Instead of enjoying this gift, I spent the entire summer in obsessive fear and panic about the airplane ride over the ocean. Once we arrived on that beautiful island, I spent the rest of the vacation in fret and worry about the trip home. It was a sad time in my life. I believed God. I knew Jesus as my Savior, and I was even growing in other areas of my faith, but I was overcome by this fear and anxiety. There was another time, shortly after I came on staff, one of my kids went on a mission trip. The students and parents and leaders had gathered in the foyer and we were praying for them as they were about to leave. I was so overcome with fear that I had to leave that prayer group. I went to my office and sobbed, begging God not to take my child. Um, I begged him not to do that, but I did that out of fear and worry rather than out of faith. 
During both of these experiences, my heart was gripped by a short verse from Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. I loved that verse, but I certainly was not living like I believed it. At some point, I realized that if I really believed it, that God is good, why would I be so anxious and have fear or panic about anything? I recall simply telling the Lord, I do believe that verse and all of the others that encourage trust and faith in Him. You know, it seems so simple now, and it actually was a very simple decision to believe, to know, and to trust that God is in control and that He is good. As I look back, the hard part may have been releasing my desire to control my circumstances. But I can tell you that once I did that, wow, how freeing, how wonderful. It is great to walk in faith knowing the one true God who really is in control and knowing that He is good. I have experienced a peaceful and contentful life since God changed my heart to a heart of faith. You know, certainly there are concerns and questions in many areas of my life, but God has given me, and all of us who follow Him, His grace and His freedom from anxiety and worry and panic by knowing Jesus and living in faith, trusting Him. Sovereign in the mountain air, sovereign on the ocean floor, with me in the calm, with me in the storm. Sovereign in my greatest joy, sovereign in my deepest cry, with me in the dark, and with me at the dawn. In your all the pieces of my life from beginning to the end I can trust you and your never failing love you work everything for good God whatever comes my way I will trust you that song declares really, really powerful truth. But all of us have specifics that it doesn't seem yet to touch, and so we're anxious and we're afraid. For Joni, flying, safety of her kids, speaking in front of people. What's yours? I want you to think very specifically of where worry and anxiety and fear constantly creep up in your life. And with that very clear in your thinking, I want to invite you to stand and let's declare this song, not just as a song to sing, but a truth to remember, the rational truth that will give us, by God's grace, victory over irrational fear and worry. This is the truth, the sovereignty, the goodness 
the love of our God. Sovereign in the mountain air, sovereign on the ocean floor, with me in the calm, with me in the storm. Sovereign in my greatest joy, sovereign in my deepest cry, with me in the dark, with me at the dawn. Father, I want to pray as we did at the beginning with the truth of who you are, theology, protect us from the ravages of fear and worry and anxiety. Would we take refuge in you? We've tasted, we've tasted a lot, we've seen and we've seen a lot been so gracious and so good. May who you are and what you do make a difference in our next storm. I ask it for your great glory, for the joy of your people, in Christ's name, amen. If we can pray with you, it really is one of our greatest privileges to pray with you. It's always available men and women out my left, your right around the corner, straight back out of north. 
Also want to remind you that we do have a lunch on the lawn today, and we'd love to have you be a part. If you're a visitor, please come by, grab a, a lunch with us. If you've signed up, please come by and grab a lunch with us. If you didn't sign up, please go get a lunch and come by and hang with us. <laughs> really, we ordered food based on those who signed up. We'd love to hang out with you, but you've got to get your own meal by now, okay? Uh, unless you're a visitor, then you can come and eat mats. <laughs> if you're a young family here, new to the chapel, single, married, whatever, if you're new to the chapel, we do have a guest reception, and we'd love to help you find family here at CFC. We have a good, good father. God bless.